Hello everyone and welcome to episode 104 of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. On the show this week, a buttload of Nintendo announcements, Ubisoft declares victory as Vivendi cashes out, the dragon of Dojima is here to stay baby, and in the book club this week we're all about turn-based cartoony mayhem, it's Worms, let's start the show. This is episode 104 of Link to the Cast. From your friends at linktothecast.eu, available on all your favorite podcasting platforms, be it Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, or Stitcher. I'm your party host, as always, Dave Ryan, joined as I am each and every week by the platforming prodigy that is Mark Robinson. Mark, how are you? The somewhat recovering uh, platforming prodigy. The in uh, the invalid, Mark <clears throat> Robinson. The, the first week we have not recorded a show... That wasn't planned, a planned break like Christmas uh, in some time. Um, yeah. Yeah, I just, uh, I, I couldn't get more than about five words out, which, you know, is about usual for me anyway. But um, this time due to uh, just coughing and sounding like a screaming banshee and just bad times all around, uh, yeah. I went home early from work last Monday. And then I did the whole blacked out curtains, uh, just in a darkened room and did not move because the coughing had become such that um, the pressure was going to my head from all the coughing. And so I basically I'd given myself a migraine from coughing, um, Good stuff. which is a bad time. And so by Wednesday, I decided I had to try and... Um, not be in that position so i was basically not coughing from my head which sounds kind of weird to say and instead just kind of coughing just from the chest uh and in the process then just destroyed my voice and destroyed my throat um but Mm -hmm. i didn't have a headache so that was kind of the the sacrifice i was willing to pay uh and apparently i had asthma apparently that's a thing that just has appeared out of nowhere is this confirmed now or no, is it, no. Is it suspected asthma? It's just suspected asthma. Um, yeah. I I was there in the GPs, and she was like, does anyone in your family have asthma? And I went, well, my mum had an asthma pump, but she also smokes a lot. And she went, yeah, you pretty got asthma. So I was like, okay, cool. So I have two <laughs> asthma pumps now. That, I mean, sure, I would have preferred just to have the antibiotics. Um, I was given steroids instead. I still don't know how steroids fix your lungs, but... I kind of feel a bit better, so I guess that's something. Um, yeah, it was a hell of a week. <laughs> yeah, it was the rare perfect storm of uh, where, like, you fell ill, uh, I had some personal stuff going on, and uh, as well, Jack was busy. <laughs> Our usual, like, faithful co-host in waiting if one of us can't do a podcast um was watching chelsea get battered by barcelona last week on the night we usually record uh so no podcast last week apologies uh for that but you're on the road to recovery at least somewhat i guess um i i actually had asthma as a child um and like 
as soon as I hit puberty, it just fucked off. Well, I mean, I so so maybe that's what you need. You need I, to hit puberty. I had a, an asthma attack, I think, when I was a lot younger. I remember having something that resembled an asthma attack. Was it um, just attention, Mark? Was that all it was? Oh no, I was just completely starved for attention, and that's just yeah. the way it's been since. Why do you think I do this <laughs> fucking podcast? Um, so I don't know, um, but I mean. I don't really want to go back to the GP because it's an extra 55 quid that I don't really want to spend. So maybe I'll just go up north at some point as a kind of holiday, quote unquote. Um, yeah, I don't know. But I'm alive. So I mean, it's 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 probably the least grim reason someone has uh, crossed the border from Ireland in search of medical this care in quite some time. It's so. true. And I, I realized as I said that, that's how it yeah. sounded. But... <laughs> Repeal the eighth, motherfuckers. Hey. But anyway um yeah Isn't the, uh, the the pope's coming to visit soon after that whole uh, i think the reference so the referendum to for those of you who don't know we're having a referendum to repeal the eighth amendment which is the one that makes abortion illegal in ireland um in may and then uh coincidence of coincidences the pope is coming to visit in august so he's either gonna be a very happy or very sad pope come august <laughs> I feel like I, I don't know what the pope's like these days is he progressive is he a little bit more in tune uh, I mean, like, by Pope as standards. far as far as popes go, I, I, from what my and I have to go based on what my grandmother says because I don't really keep up with uh, the papal news. Apparently, he's all right. Yeah. Like as far as those, as far as they go, that's good. Um, but uh, the last time a, a, a pope came to Ireland was 1979. Wow! Uh, so it is kind of a like, it is. Uh, like a minor historical event when a, when a Pope comes to, to visit somewhere. Um, there's a statue up. I don't know. You probably walked past it in the Phoenix Park. Um, he said a mass in the Phoenix Park. There was some ridiculous amount of people at it. I'm trying to get the the exact number because like where is it now? Yeah, there's a giant... You've been in the Phoenix Park, haven't you? Yes, I have. In Dublin. So it's the giant... Like, there's a giant papal cross, like a stone cross. Yep, yep. I know the one. Yeah, that's... Um, that's it. Oh, yeah, it was... It was one and a quarter million people were there. I mean, Phoenix Park is big, but so I'll tell you what. Say what you want, but... That's an unacceptable amount of people. Say what you want, but the Pope could sell out Glastonbury. He's a draw. He is full-on draw. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Pope is buys. If you go away with one lesson for the podcast this week, the Pope is buys. If you uh, pure box office, if you need to sell out WrestleMania. <laughs> Pope versus Undertaker would be an incredible. Anyway, um, shall we talk about video games? Sure, why not? Playing this week. Hey, check it out! I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy Two. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Mark, what have you been playing in the the, 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 the small amount of free time you have while trying not to cough your lungs out? Uh, I got myself a wonderful, fabulous little game called Flint Hook, uh, which came out last year for all your consoles of choice, but really recently... Uh, dropped on Switch because, as we'll talk about in the news, everything is fucking coming out on the Switch. Um, so this is a, a roguelike um, action platformer by a company called Tribute Games, who um, who did Mercenary Kings, um, which I love. Yeah, which I remember playing with you and very much enjoyed. 
uh, and very much, <coughs> excuse me, uh, continues along that um, kind of retro art pixel style, but obviously a lot more modern. Like it's indebted to, but it's certainly not restricted to a uh, kind of NES palette. It's, you know, it's very much a modern retro pixel art style looking game. Um, now, I had not so much fallen out of favour with roguelike games. I just kind of gotten a bit burnt out and just hadn't played any for a few years. Yeah, um, there was there was kind of a deluge at one point. It's like anything. When, when anything becomes a popular type of game, it's like everybody and their mother is making one. Yeah, uh, I mean, you had... So kind of drowned out. You had around that um, late 2010s period where you had the likes of Spelunky, um, Binding of Isaac... Um, Rogue Legacy, I think, was the other one. Yeah. Uh, Don't Starve, like tons and tons of different types of roguelikes. Um, and the the problem that you always have with that type of game is uh, there's a lot of groundwork that has to be done. Um, there's a lot, usually a lot of kind of rules and mechanics. Um, there's one set style of play, but it, there's multiple perm- permutations and and um, MacGuffins and gimmicks and elements, all this kind of stuff. Uh, what's quite good about Flinthook is it's actually a lot more in tune with, say, like Spelunky, in that it's pretty self explanatory what you need to do, and it's also a lot more focused on the uh, action and the platforming. Um, so it feels more like a platformer than a, you know, bastard hard roguelike. Um, but it does do kind of the standard tropes of is it, it does have, um, uh, procedurally generated uh, areas to explore. So, basically, the game works in that you have um, different um, bounties, different um, enemies that need that you can go and um, take down. And within each of um, the, uh, the bounties, um, there are like different uh, levels that you can do. And uh, you have to do X amount before you kind of have like a, a final showdown with that bounty. If you defeat the bounty, then you move on to the next one. Um, each of the levels um, that you, you can choose from uh, are kind of split into different sort of levels of difficulty. And depending on how hard, how more difficult a level is, uh, you can earn more treasure, get more uh, power-ups, more collectibles. That... It's kind of that that wage, that risk reward of do you want to do the hard levels to get more treasure um, and more experience points that you can then use um, in the kind of bigger outside world of the game, because um, uh, before you do the before you select the bounty that you want to take on, um, you have a, uh, a black market, and with that you can purchase different items, different relics, different power-ups. Um, and these are all um, kind of passive abilities. And then before you actually go on to a level, um, you have uh, a bunch of different um, uh, item locks, if you will, and you can choose okay which passive abilities that you've purchased, which ones do you want to use. So do you want to have like more XPs collected? Do you want to have that you will collect more gold? Um, do you want your weapon to have a bigger shot? Do you want it so that the more gold that you collect, the more powerful your weapon is? Um, do you want to have more luck so you can find different relics? Uh, so you can kind of mix and match how you want that to affect your gameplay, depending on what kind of uh, approach you're taking for a particular level. Um, 
I haven't noticed that it's that there's kind of too much that feels radically different depending on how your setup is going into a level. Um, I think it's just one of those things that the more that you play the game and the more that you unlock, uh, the more options that you're given to um, change up what you want your layout to be. But the key thing about the game that I really like is, apart from the fact that it's the, the presentation of it is awesome, it has this uh, kind of space pirate vibe to it, um, is the fact that moving around the environment is is really, really fun. Uh, you use uh, the right trigger to use a hook shot. Yeah. And, and that makes up kind of the core uh, crux of the gameplay is that you can use the hookshot to kind of fling yourself across the screen. Uh, and each room is split into kind of individual rooms like you would in, say, a Mega Man. Um, and you can use the hookshot to grab onto the, the door effectively. And that takes you into the next room. Uh, and kind of like you would in, say, like a uh, Binding of Isaac, uh, you have the map icon on the top of the screen. And as you uh, discover more rooms, it you know, builds the map for you so you can see where you've been, uh, what previous rooms contain. Um, you can find stuff like rooms that have the whole map that, you know, unlocks the entire map of that world for you. So you can see kind of where the exit is or what other rooms you haven't discovered yet. Um, and then you have, uh, as you go through, you'll have rooms that are more obstacle-based. You'll have rooms that are like kind of mini boss sections. So you'll get like a boss rush of a whole different bunch of enemies. Um, and you're constantly collecting treasure. You're constantly being rewarded for exploration. Uh, and yeah, it's it's really cool. Well, it has uh, like a kind of bullet time slow down mechanic, um, which is quite useful for if you're getting in a bit of hot bother. Uh, yeah, it's it's. I've only put about four hours or so in um, and I'm only on the second bounty because you know once you've done the first bounty you can keep doing it over and over again if you want to try and collect more XP and more gold to uh, unlock more relics and more power-ups and uh, yeah it's I haven't had a chance to play on the big screen yet I've only been playing it on the switch um, but I've brought my docking station into the office uh, to hook up to the monitor um, but you know as you'd imagine it works really really well on switch and uh, it's it's a really good roguelike, like it's giving me a spark back for the roguelike genre that I haven't had for a while. Yeah, it's kind of um, it, it's really tough after, as we were saying there, uh, as you started talking after that deluge of, of roguelikes coming in, it really is tough to get your enthusiasm up for one. So it, firstly, it's it's great that you've found one that that scratches that itch for you, but also again as is the theme of the news section of this show it's one of those many games that is just great on switch by the sounds of it yeah um. <laughs> yeah because it's a game i'd heard about a while ago and i was like oh it's pretty cool i'll presume it's coming out on switch at some point and uh and yeah it is and the best thing about it is uh the little main character guy he looks like somewhere he looks like a kind of junior space ghost uh coast to coast kind of avatar and i'm well on board with that um yeah it's cool <laughs> Yeah, um, I've been playing a couple of things, one old and one new for me anyway. both game, Neither game is, is really that new, but um, I've been playing a lot of Yakuza 0 this week. Mm. Uh, I've been getting back in that, and, and I've decided to just mainline that and get it finished, because as we're going to talk about as the show goes on, there are plenty of Yakuza games on the way, so I need to start beating some eventually. Um, <clears throat> so, like... I've had a couple of uh, real revelations playing Yakuza 0 the, the last week um, that I think have helped reframe. Now, I was already enjoying it. helped reframe 
how I look at the game and um, how you look at a game enjoy or this more. game. This particular game, Yakuza okay. Zero. So, firstly, one of the things I really love about the Yakuza series and uh, Yakuza Zero obviously is my only experience of properly getting into and, and playing one so far. But um, I really love that there is no English voice acting in it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a small thing, and I don't want to get into the, the really nerdy minutiae of dubs versus subs, but there's something about the, the aesthetic and, and what Yakuza as a series is going for that benefits from being solely Japanese in terms of the spoken word. Uh, with subtitles like I never have any problem uh, reading subtitles and I think there's just an authenticity that keeping it in the Japanese language gives it um, that would be completely lost trying to dub it for a western audience so uh, I really do appreciate that um, I, I, the more I play with it the more I really love this new engine they've designed for the anniversary project so it's the, the, the Yakuza 0 engine is the the kind of the core of uh, Yakuza Kiwami and it will be Yakuza 6 and Kiwami 2 as well when they're released in the West. Um, so they, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really confident that they built on a very solid core here. But the thing that's really reframed my thinking about it. So you remember, Mark, back in the day, the first kind of exposure I had in, in terms of you got to get this game was when we had Kevin Mahan on the show yes. uh, the first time. Uh, the No Mercy episode, and in the Playing This Week section, he talked about Yakuza 0 and about how Yakuza 0 is really what you make it, because there's the, the fishing stuff he talked about a lot, there's the, the cabaret club, there's the karaoke, there's all these sorts of different things you can do, and, and you get to explore um, two different cities, sort of, uh, so the, the way the narrative is structured in the game is that you spend... Uh, you're playing as two different characters and you do two chapters at a time as each one of them um so uh kiryu and majima are your two characters and uh kiryu is in sotenbori or no kamarocho and um majima is in sotenbori and you kind of flit back and forth between the the two cities and the two characters every two chapters but uh when you're dumped in that 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 city and you have so many different side quests and you're someone who has never been exposed to the Yakuza series, your mindset probably is, um, and mine was when I got it, is like, oh, this is kind of like an open world sandbox deal. Because uh, you would agree, Mark, that that's what you think of when you think of there's loads of different side quests of varying detail, uh, different emergent side stories, one critical path and a, a city to go roam around in. You know, that that is what you think, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But the more I think about it, so when I was thinking about it in that way, I, I said to myself that, like, this is good and I'm really enjoying it and I'm enjoying the scripted stuff as opposed to the emergent gameplay stuff um, because the, the writers have a really peculiar, uniquely Japanese sense of humor uh, that I've, I very much have been enjoying. Uh, but I was like, I like this game a lot, but I'm not in the, the territory where I love it. Because I'm like, well, if I want to play an open world game, look at 2017 alone. You had Horizon Zero Dawn and uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, which I've gone on record as saying on the Game of the Year show. Like, completely, completely um, 
changed how I thought about the open world. Like, um, and I also have great love, as you know, for The Witcher 3 and, and games like that. So when I was comparing it to games like that and when I was thinking of it as one of those type of open world games, I, I, I was like, I don't see what it is that makes people so crazy about this game. But I was listening to, I want to say it was Waypoint Radio, um, a couple of weeks ago and this kind of prompted me to get back into Yakuza when I came back home uh, and they were talking about it how like you really shouldn't ever look at it like that because it's not an open world game it's not trying to be think of, like if you explore the cities in it Mark like it's quite small like even for uh, a, an open world game it, it's it's very very small and constricted the thing the, the, the ways you can go and the things you can do you can't get into vehicles and just drive around the place um, there's a lot of limitations on what you can do, but but someone said like from the outside, if you're not a Yakuza fan, it would seem like an open world game. But what you should treat it as is an RPG, right? Sure. And what they mean by that is don't expect this giant sandbox where you can do whatever you like. Um, also, that has also reframed how I think about the side quest. So in an open world game, well, it's I very, want it's very do... story centric. So yes, to call it an RPG yes. would make sense anyway. Yeah, um, I like in your average open world game, I want to do a lot of side quests because side quests are a great way to become familiar with the terrain, learn the map, learn the area and get to places that wouldn't be on the critical path so you could see them. Like in Breath of the Wild, you're going all sorts of crazy places on side quests or on hunches uh, in there that you would never have to explore were it not for the fact that you were going out of your way to do it. But what the side quests are for in this game is really like, okay, you need to kind of build your money up, build your uh, like, build your little empire up so that you can make the money to upgrade your character to best serve your ability to get through the critical path. Um, because there are skill trees for your different fighting styles. Each of your characters has a couple, has three different fighting styles you can uh, switch between, and each one of those has a branching. Um, upgrades for varying prices and even if you just do mostly critical path stuff you can get a good amount of upgrades that you feel pretty good when you're fighting but to get the real like i am fighting jesus um you need to put a little bit of time into some of those side quests like whether it's the 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 cabaret club or or the fishing or whatever to generate more income to unlock that stuff but the thing where people get lost in and and i was getting lost in is an attempt to you know just keep going as far as those side quests will take you because that's what you would do in an open world you would go until they were told there is no more side quest for you go away now um whereas what you should do is go like dip in a little to all these side quests uh enjoy the kind of quirky writing that's in there get enough money so that you can actually pursue the critical path because the critical path is really why you're there and when i returned to yakuza with that mindset um i've been enjoying it a lot more and i've been focusing more on the critical path and early in that game i thought that a lot of the the the, the writing in it was more on the melodramatic side because there are some very silly scenes in the opening couple of chapters. But the more I go through it, the more I get kind of immersed in the world. I, I really, really have fallen in love with the writing and I think it is very good and very nuanced, more nuanced than I was giving it credit for at the start. Um, and I'm already, this is the the kind of the prequel game of which there are six more 
And I've already become invested in these characters who are going to continue on throughout the series. And I think that's all you can really ask from one of these games. Um, I'm, I'm about a chapter, maybe two chapters away from the end of it, just having a, a cursory look at how many chapters are in the game. Um, so I, I might have a, a final report on it next week. But uh, yeah, Yakuza 0, it's quite a game. And I think you can pick it up for about 30 quid now. And there is a lot of game in there, even if you're not uh, spending too much time in any of those side quests, even though like the side quests are very entertaining while you're there. Um, the other thing I've been playing, Mark, you will be delighted to learn that I have finally converted to the, the, the one true religion of squids and kids as I picked up Splatoon 2 last week. All right, so... Um, now remind me, you had played the original Splatoon? So, um, we had a games night, it was before you lived with us, um, when Splatoon 1 came out, we had a games night where a few people were coming down, and I picked up Splatoon 1, uh, because I knew you could do, uh, one person could play on the tablet, one person could play on the screen, so it was something, like, some sort of multiplayer thing where I didn't have to bring down my PlayStation, we could just play stuff off the Wii U, but I didn't really dip into it much past that because a part of it was that i i just didn't like that wii u tablet for a shooter and i know it's not strictly a shooter but that kind of game and the 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 degree to which the original splatoon was kind of trying to go hey maybe try the motion controls um and i'm really not a motion controls guy um i kind of bounced off it okay so and I, just my my general dislike for online shooters as sure, well sure. was all already coming into that. So I've dipped in and out of Splatoon over the near year since its release. Um, yeah, it came out in June, I think. Was yeah. It? So uh, I'm curious to get your thoughts on Splatoon. Splatoon two. Okay. So like the first thing, which won't come as a great galloping shock to you in particular, America, someone who plays it, or to anybody that does play it is that game is uh, on a mechanical level is so sound and so tight and like everything is so intuitive about the way you play through the game and the way it handles especially when you turn motion controls off which i have made sure to turn off uh, on both handheld mode and tv mode um i just do not want to deal with uh, motion controls but um the weapons feel good. Uh, one of the things, uh, there's a combination of two things that make it really great for me. Um, and that's, it doesn't take a, a lot of skill to feel like you're contributing to the team effort, which I think is very important. So if you're playing in a turf war, you're with three other people against another team of four. And if you're in a team deathmatch in Call of Duty or something like that, um, the literally the sole goal is is to kill people rack up a kill streak get you know make sure you have killed more of the other dudes than they have killed of your dudes uh by the end of the round um but because this is a you know cover the most turf possible with your paint with your roller or your splat doolies or whatever your weapon is um you can feel like you're contributing to the team effort even if every time you come up against uh, another player they kill you immediately which was happening a lot to me at the start because i just wasn't used to it so i really like that that even in a like um, an effort where i wasn't the quickest on the draw i was still covering a lot of ground in paint and when we won it felt like i had actually contributed properly to the victory and i think that is um really really important for people who kind of 
bristle at the idea of normal online multiplayer because you need to feel one part of the team and two like it's no big deal if you've lost and that's my my second point is how quickly matches happen like they're only a few minutes long and how quickly you get back into a match i have never found i have never in the two weeks now nearly since i got splatoon 2 regardless of time day or night and i have literally played it at all sorts of wildly varying hours never have i had any difficulty finding a match uh on there in in turf war it's taken at most maybe about 20 seconds to get into a match uh, and i'm there and i'm having a great time and even if you lose it's no big deal because boom the match has started up again and you're ready to go and you're going to win this one because you've learned something um and that that that's another thing as well like as you get better with weapons and as you upgrade weapons and as you kind of try different things out in rounds you do genuinely feel like you're learning and getting better at the game uh, i don't know if that kind of matches your experience now. yeah i was gonna say that um, the the kind of pro and con of the way that Splatoon is set up is that um, yes, you are right that it, it, pretty much without fail you will end up in a lobby and you'll end up in a game um, without too much trouble um, and part of the way that that's so successful is the way that you know th- there's only a couple of levels that are available at any given time um, when doing whatever online mode yeah and i think i think that's that's great uh because if you like say i only have time for a couple of games in the morning and a couple of games in the evening there'll be wildly different stages that aren't dependent on what the the guy with the highest level uh in the splatfest has picked yeah. so you don't end up with people just camping out and it's like oh if i want to play a death match i have i'm going to end up on the same couple of maps every time so the fact it's every two hours isn't it they change the maps for all the, the different so, yeah. maps so i part of me would like them to either experiment or, or see but you know the way in um mario kart <coughs> mario kart 8 where you have uh, a selection of courses that are available and everyone votes for the one that they want to to do um, yeah. And if I think it's like if enough votes aren't made, then it picks it at random or whatever. Um, I'd like it if that was a thing that they could look into because there are certain um, maps that I care less about than others. Um, and and in fairness to Nintendo, you know the content they keep dropping, the amount of maps they've they've put out. Um, you know, there's one to everyone's liking, and there's one that's going to not be to everyone's liking. So. Um, I, I have mixed feelings on the, the way that they approach their system. Obviously, it works in the long run that you do get into a game without fail. Um, but, I don't know, a little bit more variety, a little bit more of a way of yeah. being able to pick from a few more maps would be preferable. I, I think that probably is only a bit of a hang-up for people like us who, when a game comes out, we dump hours upon hours of uh, worth of sessions into it. So, like, if you're playing... A three or four hour session towards the end of that session you're kind of like oh fuck like i wish i you know the the changeover came a bit sooner yeah but i think that for the vast majority of people who aren't going to be doing that it's like most people play a game the times they're free during a day to play a game um and i think you've already got 
uh, the market is already being served in terms of the kind of shooter you can play all day long and pick your maps, which are Call of Duties or whatever. Um, but this is offering a little different of a spin. And I think by changing up things like that, it keeps it from getting stale. Like if you hand everybody the keys to the kingdom, people were going to burn out on it a lot quicker. And that's another point that I was going to raise here is that the strategies they have implemented in keeping like working on this game's longevity, the, the quality of life of this game uh, are genius. Uh, so I happened to get this game during a Splatfest. Uh, we've kind of mentioned them a couple of times in the news when they've come up because they, they're little funny uh, things they do. So for a weekend, there'll be a limited time event where there will be a question. You'll have to pick one side of the question. So I think uh, one of them was which would you prefer, ketchup or mayonnaise? Um, or, or ketchup or I think it was actually um, and the one that was the weekend uh, I joined was which do you think came first the chicken or the egg so you pick team chicken or team egg and then for that weekend anytime you go into uh, the normal battle not the ranked modes um, I can't remember what the name of it just the, the standard multiplayer mode on it uh, you will only be paired with people who are on team chicken or team egg whichever one you picked and you'll be against the other ones and your paint will have custom colours to reflect that you'll have limited edition gear because you took plate it took part in the in the splat fest to commemorate that um and then you will get like all sorts of um bonuses like you can rank up uh so i went from like a chicken fan boy i think that's like i was team chicken so i think the the, the base level you are is chicken fanboy, and then you move up to like a chicken expert and things like that um so there's a kind of if you're around for the weekend and you want to just do Splatfest over and over again, there's an incentive just within the Splatfest to do well. And then outside of that, there's like uh, experience boosts and limited edition weapons that you can earn as a result of getting all this uh, experience over the weekend. So I think they're great. And the only mode I haven't tried yet because I just haven't been online during a time uh, where they've done one yet uh, is one of those salmon runs. Uh, which I'm really looking forward to trying out because uh, an awful lot of people, I don't know if you've played much Salmon Run mode, Mark, but a lot of people say Salmon Salmon Run is the mode they wish they could play all the time because it's so good, and I don't know anything about it. It's kind of think like Horde mode from Gears of War, but with Splatoon. Oh, cool. Um, cool. It's kind of a way of looking at it. It's, there's a, I, I believe there's more to it than that because I haven't had a chance to yeah. do a lot of it. Um, but yeah, it's it's that kind of tower defense horde mode type thing, um, but it's yeah. Splatoon, so it's yeah. mad. Uh, I enjoy the little bit of single player stuff uh, with the like the I can't remember the name of the stuff, but they're basically like obstacle courses where uh, you go through um, solving different, like getting through the the terrain, trying to save these kind of jellyfish things. I can't remember what the fuck they're called for the life of me right now. Um, they're they're fun and they help you hone your skills for going into the multiplayer and it's cool that there's something like if ever the servers were down for a couple hours like oh i can just like scratch my itch by going into that um the the octo expansion which we're going to talk about in the news section is coming which is a substantial piece of single player content added on so i'm 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 happy about that what i'm waiting for is the octo dad expansion (laughs) oh the oh 
what a crossover that will be. Um, the only thing I will say about it, well, firstly, I, I do acknowledge that I think I would probably be marginally less impressed than I am. Like, I'm really falling in love with Splatoon 2. And I think if I had been on board with the start of Splatoon 1, uh, I gather that it's not so wildly different from Splatoon 1. Uh, no, Splatoon 2. It's, it's just a more refined version of Splatoon 1. Yeah, as is the case with like all of those Wii U ports. It's yeah. either it's either a refinement of what came before or it's like, hey, this is now on a platform where people are actually playing this. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and obviously I, you, the Wii U tablet is really fucking weird and the Switch is not, so uh, and I do I do appreciate um like I like the when you tune in that uh that update uh, the, the the two girls telling you like all the new stuff since the last time you logged in now I, I, I do get that. you see well the thing is the so if you're logging in all the time it, it's sure, fine it's not, it's, because yeah. it goes okay it, the, like if there's been an update that you didn't know it was it's like oh here's what happened in the update you might want to go check this shit out oh and by the way here are the maps that are active for right now so you know get get splatting um but yeah the very first time I logged on it gave me everything since the 1.0 update. Uh-huh. So I was there hitting A for quite yep. some time. So I imagine if you're someone who only gets to play Splatoon 2 once every few weeks, it probably annoys the shit out of you. It's it's but, just one of those things with Nintendo where it's just unskippable. Like, unskippable yeah. text blocks are... I, I, I've never understood how Nintendo have allowed this to still be a thing. Yeah, I think maybe the the option for that is because there are people who do like it and I I would be on the side of that because again at the moment I'm logging in regularly enough that there's never too much of a backlog on those. Uh, but maybe in the menu a toggle to turn that off if you don't like it. Um because there are always other ways within the game of finding out like you can just walk over to the weapons shop and see what's there uh, and the guy in the weapons shop can tell you, "Hey, check out this stuff, it's new." Um, which he does anyway, and like when you go into the the online lobby, you will see what the active stages are when you're moving around between the modes. But the one thing I I don't like, uh, and I didn't realize until I tried to do it, is that there is no uh, local multiplayer unless you have multiple switches in the room. Indeed. Um, which is a considerable drawback for me. Now, I knew that we weren't going to get the same kind of uh, multiplayer mode that we had on Splatoon 1 because obviously you can't hold a Switch tablet in your hand while having it active on the TV. The uh, the issue that I would call the, uh, the Mario Maker conundrum. Um, <laughs> but I, I, there should have been some sort of split-screen local multiplayer just like... Even if you don't want to, if you're like, oh, I don't want someone in split screen going online because their field of view is limited by 50% and being split screen, still just have local multiplayer where, like, I'm on a team with three AI uh, teammates and whoever's playing multiplayer with me has three AI teammates as well. Or we could be on the same team against four AI. You know, like, just something. Even, like, because obviously they put in a... It's decent, but it's a bare-bones single-player campaign. So obviously they know there are people that are playing this uh, offline or not just for online multiplayer. So it would have been nice just to add that, but that's only a small quibble because I don't really get the opportunity to play multiplayer Switch stuff locally that often anyway. Um, But yeah, that's Splatoon 2. Um, Let's move now into the news. News on the mark! Mark, there's a lot of games coming out on the Switch. It is so, 
so much coming out on the Switch. Like, uh, I, it's I, actually, I, I don't know where, how to oh, do this. I'm both so happy and so just stressed the fuck out. <laughs> it's like, where am I going to find the time and the money to play all these games that I would like to play? You're not, Dave, is the answer to this question, yeah. so we might as well just die now. So, right, we have two things to talk about here because we've been away for two weeks. Uh, the morning after we recorded the podcast, the day it was released last time, uh, there was a Nintendo Direct. And then uh, the day before we recorded this one, there was uh, a Nindies showcase, which is a Nintendo Indies uh, kind of brand. Um, so we're, we'll talk about both of those. Let's go with the Nintendo Direct uh, first, Mark. And I think the real headline grabber from there was the almost Marvel Cinematic Universe post-credits tease for Super Smash Brothers on Nintendo Switch. Now, you're not a big fan of uh, the Super Smash Brothers series, but... I did uh, enjoy the trailer, I will say that. All things considered, I think it was a good trailer. It was a very good um, trailer. I think once you get that... Um, Smash Brothers doesn't take itself very seriously. You'll enjoy how funny this completely serious seeming trailer is. Um, like if you had watched, uh, I, I will say one thing, and you, you'll probably go along with this, Mark. I do think Smash Brothers games have some of the best advertising campaigns for any video game. Yeah. Uh, in terms of their character announcement trailers. Like, you go online uh, onto the YouTube.com. It's a popular website, Mark. You should check it out sometime. Um you go on there and it is littered with like reaction videos of people like screaming in tears, whatever, when their favorite character is announced. And then like that video then gets bounced around. So like it's it's really great publicity for the game. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed this trailer. It, it seemed like it was going to be more Splatoon news, but uh, then the, the lights went out. Squid Girl turns around and you see the Smash Brothers logo in flames in the sky reflected in her eyes. Slightly and, more ominous than I was expecting for a Smash really trailer. It was. It was great. And like, uh, Somewhat apocalyptic. Yeah, and like all the Smash characters in shadow, uh, kind of like tiny bit illuminated by the flaming logo. So you got to see Mario and, and Bowser and Donkey Kong, and uh, we'll get on to one of the other characters you see in a second. Um, but yeah, I, I thought this was a really good trailer. I really enjoyed the tweet that came out about this. It's like it's really funny that when Smash Brothers arrived on Wii U, uh, the I think it was was it Ness or the Villager or something. He gets invited to Smash Brothers with a lovely invite sent in the post for him, whereas Squid Girl and Squid Boy get invited into a hellscape. <laughs> um, so yeah, the the I think the the real resounding question, the one part of Nintendo's messaging that either uh, accidentally or deliberately is unclear, is whether Mark this is a completely new Smash Brothers game built from the ground up or whether it is just a port. Um, I'll shoot to you for your reaction on the trailer and which you think it is, but uh, personally, I'm inclined to lean towards this being a brand new game. Um, I will go with the the trend that is, it's a port slash refinement um, of what's come before. The curious thing, the really curious thing, is how they're going to handle uh, multiple controllers uh, and multiple peripherals. Um, I mean, they 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 did for uh, Smash on Wii U. Yes, they did. Um, but the Switch is a slightly different beast. So you know, will mm. they have some? Will they have some sort of 
Bluetooth uh, adapter that you can plug your GameCube controllers into that will recognize the Switch, uh, yeah. which then causes latency oh. issues. Um, you know, uh, all I'm saying, Mark, is that there's two HDMI ports on the front of your Switch, and that's exactly how many HDMI ports you need for that GameCube controller adapter they released with Smash Brothers on Wii U. That is true. Well, well. Probably, I would imagine then that is that issue sorted. I always forget there are HDMI ports on the Switch because I never have to use them. Yeah, there's there's two on the front and one in at the back near the power supply. Yeah, um, cool. There you go then. That should be... You'd think that would be that issue uh, resolved. Uh, the thing that leans... There's two, there's two small things. One of them is kind of like could go either way, so it depends on how you're reading the situation. But the fact that the version of Link that's in this trailer is the Breath of the Wild Link... Uh, you see him for a brief second standing behind one of the characters and it's his blue tunic from um, Breath of the Wild makes me think that maybe it is uh, a new game but the main thing is that it I was pretty certain that if it was going to be uh, just strictly a Wii U port that they probably would have marketed like Mario Kart 8 and called it Super Smash Brothers Deluxe possibly or something like that. The idea that it they're just calling it Super Smash Brothers, and even if they'd call it Super Smash Brothers for Nintendo Switch, that would have kind of given you a clue that maybe it is the Super Smash Brothers for Wii U port. Um, but the fact that it's just Super Smash Brothers makes me think that no, this is new and it's the definitive version because uh, Sakurai, uh, I can never remember his uh, his first name. The the long suffering, if you if you read interviews of him, producer of the series, had said after the last one that he was done, uh, that he wasn't good, like he might do one more. That was it. Uh, so this might be the one we're getting. Um, and it's been what, about two, two, maybe three years since that game came out on Wii U. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm more um, concerned about the significant lack of Roy still. Um... <laughs> As it now not. Fire Emblem Roy because he no, may well be there. No, uh, that's not that's not my boy. That's not Roy. The the one thing I'm hoping for from it, like uh, there's a lot of people who have posted great suggestions for characters, much like they did with the Wii U one, where everyone was saying Brock Lesnar should be in it. Uh, my favorite one that I text to you is that someone wants Andy from Advance Wars to be in it, <laughs> and I would be so unbelievably on board with uh, an advance like this being the testing of the waters for advance wars making a comeback um but i i think yeah the the important thing is people won't really mind um if it's a port because like what they come for are, are the mechanics and they they people really really liked how that wii u game worked um, they just didn't like having to play it on a wii u tablet necessarily um it, it needs a big roster because that's the whole point of these games and also you, like if you have a huge roster, they could milk this for months with character announcements. Um, well, if Splatoon yeah. is anything to go by in terms of content uh, or dropping content, like this Smash could be going for until the fucking end of the Switch's life cycle. Uh huh. Um, and considering you know how much other content is coming out on uh, Nintendo Switch, like the amount of characters that they could drop on this. Um, it's, it's. I think it was like by the end of the DLC, there was like fifty-one or fifty-two characters on the last one. Yeah, it's kind of mad. And again, like I'm not fussed either way. But for those inclined, those that enjoy Smash, um, this is this is some really exciting stuff. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And then the, the absolute stinger in the trailer, it's coming out this year. Uh, so I guess we now probably know what the Christmas game is going to be uh, on, on Nintendo Switch, or at least one of the Christmas games. Um, so yeah, that, that was pretty awesome. But this uh, Nintendo Direct, Mark, wasn't without other news, and we got a really, really long and in-depth look at Mario Tennis Aces, which we now know will launch on June 22nd. How are you thinking, how are you feeling about how Mario Tennis Aces is lining up? Uh, so I actually, um, I missed out on the last Mario Tennis game that was on the 3DS, I want to say. Um, so I'm, I'm a few games behind with Mario Tennis, but um, you know me, big fan of Mario Tennis on the N64. Um, I don't know, like... I'm not sure if I'm interested in uh, like a full-priced Mario Tennis game, um, and I figure that's probably what it'll end up being. But I'm sure. Yeah, it seems like they've put a lot of work into this. Yeah, and hey, you know, it's it's a, it's a Mario title, of course they're gonna. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm not overly fussed. Like I'd probably like to play it at some point. But I just I don't, I don't think it's a game where I'd feel like I want to pay 60, 70 quid for it um, at this point. Um, so, I don't know. We'll see. It looks really cool. Um, all I've yeah. seen on Twitter is Luigi's dick apparently through his shorts for the <laughs> past fucking week. So, that's a thing. Uh, I've really, I, I've really uh, in, enjoyed uh, the, the footage they've shown of Mario Tennis Aces. I, I think it, it looks really nice, as you'd expect, because they're they really get the most out of the hardware they work on Nintendo. Um, I, I actually, as a small side story, that's uh, I was having a conversation today with a clerk in my local uh, GameStop because I just happened to ask him. Kirby Star Allies came out last week. Uh, and I asked him, do they have any in stock? And he goes, no, Nintendo sent us two. <laughs> <laughs> um, because they're kind of like down the... It's more of a regional store than like a big city center store, the one I go to. So like they're yeah, down still. the list when it comes to the supply. But still, yeah. And he goes, you know what I always say about Nintendo? And I said, what's that? And he goes, they make great games, but they probably shouldn't do anything else in the world of business. Because <laughs> they do not know how it works. And uh Yeah. Um, I I don't know about the the kind of the the full price element to this. Um, I really like um, the the amount of effort the teams have gone into it. I I love the um, some of the different combos you can do, like the like the super moves and and stuff like that look really cool. Some of the, some of the characters is like is there sixteen or fifteen characters or something like that. I am all in on Chain Chomp. As a as a Mario Tennis character, that is just the idea of the chain job chewing the racket uh, as he takes a swing is, is pretty great. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely would go along with you. Where like, I, look, I probably will pay full price for this because I you want a sports game. The I want a sports game on the Switch, and I haven't owned a tennis game in years and years and years, so I probably will buy it. But um, yeah, it's making all the right noises for me so far in terms of like being certain that it'll be a uh, at least a decent game, if not a, a great game. And they're doing a, a Mario Tennis Open in the in the build up to it, uh, which will generate some press for them as well. I also so. can't wait to see how they fuck up the online for that. Yeah, 
uh, I don't know. Like, I, I think it'll be the most uh, stripped down possible, like a kind of like Splatoon where it's just, oh, do you want to go into a single or doubles match? I was like, OK, we'll just throw you in randomly with somebody that isn't too far away from your level. Um, and obviously they will just they will have voice chat through the stupid app, which means that people who actually want to play online uh, against each other will just have to call each other on Skype. If you can even deliberately match with somebody on this one, let's see. Um, then we got there was a, there was some 3ds stuff uh, in this direct as well um, a new warioware game which i thought might have been uh, like i wouldn't have bought it on the switch but you know i i suppose when you think of like there are literally tens of millions of people who still own ds's and 3ds's uh, and still actively play them particularly in japan you can't really abandon that hardware even though it might be like our instinct as consumers is uh, as consumers and switch owners is like would you fucking abandon that and just make everything for the switch please we kind of say after every um every kind of conference when it comes to to nintendo we're like is this the one where they kind of put the 3ds to the side and yeah. no anytime soon yeah it doesn't look like it. it's not going to be a cast away like the vita um so warioware gold is coming out uh it's heading to 3ds it's the most packed package of mini games to date um we've got there's a remake of uh mario and luigi, luigi barrio bowser's inside story and bowser jr's journey and i would have liked that on the switch as well yeah so because i've i've heard i've never played it but i've heard people really like there's a real cult following for bowser's inside story but uh alas then there's detective pikachu which freaks the shit out of me uh i really don't like pikachu with a big deep voice uh it comes off less funny and more creepy to me i don't know about you buddy uh i only briefly saw a clip and i was like okay that's a thing whatever moving on luigi's mansion is getting uh a 3ds port and again that's really weird because obviously we had luigi's mansion dark moon um which was you know a 3ds luigi's mansion game of a gamecube game and it seems I don't know. It just seems like a bit of a fruitless endeavor. Um, uh, not just to say, "Hey, look, just fucking put it on the Switch," but it's like I don't know. It just—it seems like it's such a weird thing to announce at this time in the 3DS's life cycle to say, "Oh, we're just going to do a, a remake of the GameCube version of a game that we've kind of already made for the 3DS." <laughs> it's it's like so Germ- Nintendo. It's like, well, do you know who else it is? It's so Capcom. Do you remember when Capcom uh, remade the remake of Resident Evil and it nearly broke Jeff Gersman? Yes. <laughs> it's, I don't uh, think it's quite as inception-y as that, but it's still yeah. fucking pointless. Uh, there was more on Kirby Star Allies. Uh, Okami HD that you got yeah. for the PS4 recently is coming to the Switch, and they're going to actually use the touchscreen for once, so that's pretty great. That's good. Uh, Sushi Striker, The Way of Sushido. I don't think I want to play this game, but I love the ridiculous sushi-based world this is set in. I'm all for that. Um, Then we had some more on Octopath Traveler, which is like the game with the coolest aesthetic that I don't know if I actually want to play at all. I, having played the demo, actually am really curious by that game because it actually has a really interesting gameplay mechanic. Um, Just the, the worst name. It the worst name. It is a terrible name for a game. 
Um, it's so Japanese. But I tell you what, though, motherfucker, Captain Toad Treasure Tracker. Yeah. Oh. Captain Toad Treasure Tracker is coming out on July 13, and I will be buying that because I never owned Captain Toad on oh. the, uh, the Wii U. Dave, uh, Dave. I was waiting for a good time. That was one where, like, that game was very expensive for what it was in Ireland. And I was sure. just, I was like, I'm going to wait till the second hand. Uh, games start popping up but i hadn't counted on the fact that no one owned a wii u uh, <laughs> so i never found one but yeah i'll be jumping on that july 13th crash bandicoot is coming to nintendo switch which is a fucking weird thing to say out loud on july 10th that's the insane trilogy that came out on playstation and uh xbox last year and uh yeah as someone pointed out finally uh the, the forces have been united you can now play sonic mario and crash all on the same console and it's the nintendo switch who would have thought uh, in fairness crash bandicoot had games on the game boy advance this and so did mario and so did sonic so oh, advance is really where it's at Guess I've just popped that fucking oh. bubble, haven't I? Would you drop in science? Yeah, yeah. Uh, South Park: The Fractured But Whole coming. Um, Dark Souls Remastered. I tell you what, uh, actually, trailer for that. I tell you Go what, on, yeah. Fractured But Whole is pro- on the Switch is probably where I'd only ever end up getting around to playing this to playing uh, uh, that game. Um, yeah, I, I traded that in recently to pay off Far Cry, and it was just a case of like, I did not like it, but it's just the stick of truth, but more and way longer. Yeah. So. Um, then we had Dark Souls Remastered, a trailer for that, which I have no intention of playing. But I did pop huge for the Solera Vastora amiibo, where you can tap it to your Switch to praise the sun, which is an absolutely great bit of self-awareness there. Um, Travis Strikes Again, No More Heroes. Is that a thing that appeals to you, Mark? Uh, uh, no, I always wanted to play. I remember when I had my Wii back in the day. Um, I I had a choice between either No More Heroes and Mad World. Um, yeah. If you remember Mad World, um, I do. It's like the it was like um, the one game everyone pointed to on the on the the Wii for ages, where it's like, look, there's grown up games on it too. Yeah, and it was merely okay. Um, whereas No More Heroes was apparently actually quite interesting, um, but I never got around to it. So cool. Um, Little Nightmares Complete Edition, May 18th. I'm looking forward to that because um, I never got to play that on PS4. So I'll, I'll get that on Switch. Undertale. Talk about, Undertale. Yeah. Talk about perfect for the Switch. Uh, and I really appreciate it that the trailer said, coming eventually. Cool. Talk about perfect characters for uh, Smash. If someone did say that, and that would be pretty <laughs> great. Um, yeah, um, I will absolutely get Undertale again on Switch. Um yeah, it's a great game. Uh, then uh, Hyrule Warriors ah, as well. Ah, the one, but yeah, I don't really care about that at all. Uh, moving on now to the Nindies. More stuff, oh but at, God, least not, so at, least, at least stuff that isn't expensive. So 16 new indie games uh, announced as part of Can this. Can I tell you how fucking hyped I am for Mark of the Ninja remastered on the Switch? Um, <laughs> I fucking love Mark of the Ninja. That is such a great game that um, always I was just kind of stunned that it didn't appear anywhere else and i'm so happy to see this coming out on the switch yeah so the, there was a couple of ones that just came really out of nowhere so you got banner saga one and two that doesn't surprise uh, me sure Lumines remastered reigns kings and queens which is one you talked about on the show before didn't you it's really cool i i'm not really sure of it as a switch it's i mean it's so like 
inherently designed as a mobile game um, that, I mean, sure, like, yeah, you can put it on the Switch. You can probably put anything on the Switch. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know about that one. That's that's interesting. I don't know how that will sell. Uh, Lightfall, Garage, West of Loathing, Pode, Fantasy Strike, Just Shapes and Beats, which is a great name, uh, Bomb Chicken, The Messenger, Bad North, Banner Saga 3, Mark of the Ninja Remastered, and Pool Panic. So, like, they really are working on uh, between actual tentpole releases and the, the Nindies. Uh, there's a good effort being made by Nintendo to ensure that constant stream of new stuff coming out to play. And uh, also announced that isn't on there, uh, Hyperlight Drifter. Oh, yeah, man. I love Hyperlight Drifter. Uh-huh. And Nidhogg motherfucking too. Oh, yeah, you were you text me like in the middle of the night last night about that one. You were yeah. hyped as fuck. Um, I never finished Hyperlight Drifter. I will absolutely be doing that on the Switch. Um, mm-hmm. Again, basically, is it kind of like uh, Link to the Past? Yeah, well, it's going to work on the Switch then. <laughs> um, moving on, speaking of games you should get, there's a massive PSN Easter sale now live at up to 60% off games uh, and up to 70% off some PS4 exclusive. Just going to batter through this list here, Mark, if you don't mind. If there's anything here uh, you want to talk about, stop me. But uh, these prices are in pounds sterling, so bear that in mind. But there will be similar uh, offers on your store wherever you are, I am sure. Wolfenstein 2, the new Colossus, nineteen ninety nine which is pretty great. Uh, FIFA 18, $24.99. Assassin's Creed Origins, $32.99. Jesus Christ, Ubisoft. That's a bit stingy of a discount. Uh, Skyrim Special Edition, $15.99. Rainbow Six Siege, $15.99. The Witcher 3, $11.99. Mark, in terms of pounds per hour, that is probably your best value there in that <laughs> list by some considerable distance. Um, Life is Strange Before the Storm, which I uh, completed the bonus chapter of, I'll talk about that on the podcast next week, uh, is available in its complete season for £7.99. Uh, Alien Isolation, the collection, £7.99. Wolf Among Us and Tales from the Borderlands, £4.99. That's a pretty good deal That's there. That's a good deal. Uh, Evil Within 2, which is very good, uh, £15.99. Ark Survival Evolved, down to £24.99. Bioshock of the Collection, which is Bioshock 1, 2, and Infinite for eleven forty nine, which is outrageously good. Um, Sleeping Dogs Definitive Edition 369, uh, although you're not a fan of that PS4 port whatsoever. I, you know, 369, I can't exactly grumble. Indeed. Um, and South Park, The Fractured Butthole, down to twenty four ninety nine. dollars um, Yeah, so that's pretty good. There uh, are games th- there that are on sale absolutely there's pretty much um like there's there's always some sort of sale going on on psn uh they've been pretty good at there's there's always a decent amount of games that are reduced for you to to kind of uh, to tempt you into biting on mark here's a story i didn't think we'd be reporting on uh in terms of who the victor in this was ubisoft has emerged victorious in the long-running battle to stave off a hostile vivendi takeover um, so for those of you who weren't aware, this uh, this story must precede us doing this show. Um, that's how long it, it feels like it's been going on for. But What are we? So but, in 2015 we started this show. Yeah, mid-2015. Um, yeah, so this, yeah, this must go past back then because this has been going on for forever. Yeah, um, so Ubisoft is a, uh, is a publicly traded company and... 
at some point several years ago, and we've definitely reported on them creeping up and trying to take over before. Vivendi were buying uh, larger and larger shares in the company, trying to get a controlling interest and and take over the the company in a hostile takeover because uh, basically Ubisoft didn't want them to take over, so they weren't handing over the the keys to the kingdom there. Um, uh, And it seemed like over time, anytime stock would come up, uh, as available, Vivendi was buying it. It seemed like it was only going to be a matter of time until they crept into a position where they could officially take over the company and possibly take it private. But uh, yeah, that's that's not happened all these years later. Um, Ubisoft still owned and managed by the founding Gimo family made it clear the company was not up for sale at the time. The last two Ubisoft E3 conferences have concluded with an emphasis on the developers within Ubisoft, its diverse range of games and studios, and a firm desire to remain independent. That is true. Like, there's a lot of, you know, for all the kind of weirdness of some of those Ubisoft conferences, like, they've all ended on a strong point about how Ubisoft is a family of different developers trying all sorts of different things in the gaming space, and we want to be our own thing um they announced last night uh, that they got their wish and that vivendi was selling up its entire stake chinese mega corporation tencent which owns bits and pieces of many western games and companies will buy a much smaller stake in ubisoft and work with them to expand its reach within china somewhat bizarrely the ontario teachers pension plan will now also own a stake in ubisoft Ubisoft will buy back the rest of the shares and the Gimo family will personally acquire more. Um, but don't think that uh, for a second Vivendi is losing out here. They had amassed shares. They they spent $400 million, I believe it was, um, or yeah, 400 million euro uh, acquiring all these uh, shares over the years and they have cashed out to a value of 2 billion. Good for uh, them. So, They've not done badly there in the I'm, grand scheme of I'm things. I'm happy for them. Good for them. Couldn't happen to a bunch of people. Yeah, th- that's pretty cool. Um, like, we've seen enough stories over the last year or so with, like, EA taking over a studio and closing it down in Visceral. And we've seen over the years, uh, like, companies uh, absorbing developers and then not making their kind of dreams, their goals, uh, their vision for gaming a priority. Um, But this is a rare happy story. Ubisoft gets to stay independent, so that's awesome. Um, Nintendo Switch, in a case of I'm not sure about whether they should fix something that isn't necessarily all that broken, are looking to kind of rethink their strategy on uh, discoverability on the eShop on Switch. I knew it. I fucking knew at some point (laughs) they would ruin the eShop for the Switch. We've discussed before that I love the simplicity and the elegance and the Mm -hmm. cleanness of the Switch eShop, and I fucking despise the Wii U eShop and the 3DS eShop because they are completely just not acceptable or in any way intuitive for a a normal functioning person to try and find a fucking game to play that they want to buy. So we'll see what they do, but I I I tell you what, it won't be as good as it is now. Yeah, like we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, is the fact that they've literally done nothing with it except just stick it up there in order of the... uh, the time the games came out is really the perfect way for us and having a search bar like that's 
fine and having a tab for what's on sale at the moment and a chart and to make your watch list that's perfect for the likes of you and me uh, i get that if they're really trying to uh, foster partnerships with independent studios that they might want to like you know it would sweeten the deal somewhat if nintendo can say to them well hey look you're going to appear near the top of our discovery tab if they have like a hey discover nindies tab on the side it's like hey if you sign the deal with us to have it like a timed release on switch or something like that uh we'll keep you up near the top of this list for x amount of months so from there like for their kind of bargaining point of view in in making these third-party partnerships i completely get why they do it but as you say um i'm not a massive fan of the fact that they're going to tamper with this i mean uh, not if to, not to mention uh, have you been following the blossom tales thing this week uh, i've not known Okay, so here's the thing. Uh, for anybody that worries that getting buried in chronological order is going to destroy your game. Um, so there's a game on PC and Switch called Blossom Tales, The Sleeping King. It's got pretty decent reviews. It's basically a Zelda game, um, which is why I'm like a 2D Zelda game, which is why I'm surprised that Mark hasn't uh, necessarily heard of it yet. Welcome but, to the week I've had. <laughs> indeed. Um, but you know the way, so... Uh, with Steam Greenlight, not Steam Greenlight, Steam Direct is the new kind of, instead of Steam Greenlight, is the new way that you kind of expose uh, indie games to people. And on top of that, Steam also has curators and their famous algorithm that they think is going to solve all their problems in terms of discoverability. Well, the people who made Blossom Tales of the Sleeping King came out and said, we released this game on uh, Nintendo Switch, Think of the size of the player base on Nintendo Switch. And on Steam. Think of the amount of people that have Steam. And Blossom Tales sold 20 times more games on the Switch. Wow. (laughs) So they basically published this statement that was like, Steam, y'all can get fucked. (laughs) You know, like uh, Nintendo is where we're happy our game is and it's doing very well. Well, I mean, I don't know if that's a complete, like, you can't make a strict comparison between Valve or or Steam and, um, and the Switch because obviously the traffic of how many games are being released, and obviously that is the whole point of this, is the fact that the visibility that you can have on the Switch is a lot larger because there's obviously a hell of a lot less games coming out on yeah. the switch then on... but that 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 is part of their argument that just by the virtue of the fact that nintendo don't let everything on they've curated better than the curators and algorithms of steam sure but i mean this is a one-year-old console like i mm-hmm. i i am more than happy to get on valve's back about uh a lot of stuff but i don't know it's it seems a bit of a harsh comparison to say this this system that has had to have been kind of refined and tinkered over time um that has become you know the biggest like online marketplace for games uh in the industry uh yeah. as compared to just you know a console that's been out for a year i do agree though that obviously you know if you want to have a, a stronger kind of visibility uh yes it's probably wiser to uh, have your game released on switch certainly at the moment um and on top of all of that as well like just to quickly go back um I, if they want to add like a new tab or a new column or whatever, that's like, hey, here's like the hot new Nindies games or here's whatever. 
like they can do that as long as they still have a here's the recently released games and here's everything in chronological order of when it's been released as long as they keep that that's fine you know they can add whatever the hell they want afterwards as long as they still have my here's everything in chronological order after that do what the hell they want yeah uh, moving on, we got a few smaller stories here to get to that I'll just kind of zip through uh, for the sake of time. Uh, Epic releases Paragon assets for free ahead of the shutdown. So we reported before that Paragon is shutting down. Um, people are getting refunds. But uh, this is pretty cool. They've basically handed over all the assets that built the game to people so they can dick around with it and uh, make what they want uh, through speak the of, Unreal Engine marketplace. Speak of unverified games that will be on uh, Steam by the end of the week. Uh, indeed, yeah, yeah. There's going to uh, be some whopper asset flips. Yeah, now... I mean, what does Before this... Look forward to Paraton out next week. Does this say more about how much bank that Epic are making from Fortnite at the moment, more than anything yeah. else? Well, that was part of it. Like, even in their statement, they said, look, um, Paragon isn't what we wanted it to be. And also, you know, Fortnite is such a massive success that we need to be smart and redirect our resources where they're best used. Actually, um, correction, Epic... Uh, Paragon exactly is exactly what it, you would want it to be, which is a MOBA, which is why it didn't work. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I mean, we don't really need to go too much into Fortnite, um, but it's it's kind of absurd, like how that's blown up over the last um, couple of months or so. And we you saw uh, Drake was Twitch streaming it the other day. Um, yeah. There's this guy Ninja. I'd never heard of him before, making uh, five hundred grand a week. Yeah. He says. Yeah, yeah, that's what uh, what those Amazon wish lists will do for you, huh? Um, but you know he uh, he's making a lot of money off of it, and obviously Fortnite are doing all right for themselves. And um, we've had the mobile. I where the fuck did these mobile releases of Fortnite and Player Unknowns come from? Because they just oh, seem man. to have just come out just of nowhere all of a sudden. Yeah, Shadow dropped almost. Like uh... I, I saw like. Uh, press packs for it and i'd have been convinced if you didn't actually have the names on there that they would have just been like fucking chinese uh carbon copy clones of of these games like just for mobile you know just half-baked ideas um but you know i i guess competition uh is is ripe in the marketplace and um uh, these two games are clearly like right we need to get on top of the other and uh i guess you know mobile is the way to go but um, it's it's fucking mad because Fortnite was just this unheard not unheard of but just this thing that no one was caring about and since the the battle royale mode uh, it's just it's mad it's absolutely mad how that's blown up absolutely that's for sure here's one for you Mark possibly the uh, the most obscure game announcement in quite a while classic space adventure flashback is coming to the Switch with a fancy retro collector's edition okay Pub- Publisher Microids has announced that their classic space adventure flashback is heading back to the Switch on June 7th uh, in celebration of its 25th anniversary. Flashback, for those of a forgetful nature, I would imagine most people, uh, was designer Paul Cusset's celebrated cinematic action adventure that released on the Amiga in 1992. It charts the space-bound escapades of Conrad B. Hart, a young scientist that finds himself on Titan, a colonized moon of Saturn at the start of the game. Um, yeah, I was like, I legitimately, Mark, I don't know about you, but I was like, what the fuck is Flashback? 
All I wonder, at what point do we get to where fucking uh, Hideo, Hideo Kojima's Snatcher ends up on the Switch? Because we're getting that way, where everything is just um, going to end up there at some point. Uh, I'd never heard of it before. So Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the little trailer is cool. Uh, for the, the stuff you seem to be getting in the special edition looks class as well. So for flashback fans, they'll be delighted. All I'm saying is we're one step closer to the Neverhood on Switch. <laughs> uh, that, now that will be the fucking day. Uh, speaking of game announcements, although we knew it was coming at some stage, Yakuza Kiwami 2 launches in August. So this is awesome. Um, to kind of close out the, the Kiryu saga that ends in Yakuza 6 Song of Life, which is released in the West next month, um, the developers had announced at one stage that uh, this big 10-year anniversary project, that part of it would be that one by one they're remaking all the other Yakuza games in the new engine for the the current day audience uh, in the hopes that with Yakuza Zero's strong success that people will uh, want to delve into the series. Um, so this is pretty awesome. Yakuza Kwame 1, which is the remake of Yakuza, uh, came out uh, towards the end of last year. Yakuza Kwame 2 now is coming out in August, and before then we'll obviously have Yakuza 6 Song of Life in May. Um, so yeah, did you really think, like, Mark, like I know I talked about Yakuza 0 enough on this, so I'm not going to dive into it again, but it's kind of crazy the, the last year how Yakuza 0 has not, or Yakuza as a franchise, has not only come back, but in a lot of ways now is more popular than it ever was. The world truly has become a global place. Indeed, my friend. Like, it was definitely, I had heard of Yakuza. Oh, I knew of Yakuza, but um, it it wasn't a thing, you know, uh, it wasn't something that I'd ever really paid too much attention to. I'd always kind of put uh, Yakuza and uh, what's the fucking... um, uh, oh, what does uh, fucking Gerstmann call it? The uh, oh, uh, oh, fuck, um, Shenmue. Shenmue. Yeah, I always the had forklift Yakuza- driving simulator the fork, for assholes. Fork, yeah, that, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Um, I'd always had kind of Yakuza and Shenmue in in like mindset, kind of similar, even though they're obviously totally different. Yeah, just in terms of cult Japanese games that never really took off huge in the West. Um, but yeah, that's that that's pretty cool, uh, and I will be getting that because I am completely won over, and I never thought I would be. <laughs> um, here's a lovely bit of news uh, about a game we didn't get a chance to talk about this week, but uh, I think I'll save our, our chat on it uh, for next week on the show. Burnout has topped the charts for the first time in 13 years. Uh, Burnout Paradise Remastered, which came out last Friday, has earned the franchise its first chart top spot in over a decade. The much-missed Smash-Em-Up Racing series last hit number one with Burnout Revenge in 2005. However, Burnout's best week, uh, best ever week of launch still belongs to Burnout 3 Takedown back in 2004. Um, that's pretty cool. Like It's kind of like the, the feel-good story of when uh, Crash came back and dominated the charts last year for a while. Like people, There is definitely uh, still a strong nostalgia market out there for these kind of games that you just don't really get that much anymore. Um, Burnout Paradise Remastered uh, did pretty damn well. Um, also, in this story, if I hand over to you, Mark, it's pretty cool that uh, Kirby Star Allies, which also came out last week uh, on the Nintendo Switch, uh, is already the the biggest launch ever for a Kirby game. Really? Oh, uh, yeah, that's um, lovely. 
Yeah, so it's it, it, of all uh, there have been nineteen Kirby games that have released in the UK, and this is the the best launch for one so far. Yeah, what do you think about the, this news? Both the the Burnout Paradise top in the charts and uh, Kirby having its best sales in the series or its best opening in the series. Anyway, um, that's that's really cool for Burnout. Although I don't know um, like how much Criterion would have had involved in this remaster. Probably none at all. Um, which would be a shame. they're all they're all off now. Um, at least, well, yeah, the Criterion in name only, maybe on this project, but um, the people who actually made these games are off doing they, that Dangerous Golf and, and what was that other one? Um, Dangerous Golf and oh, was the one uh, that was Crash, just Crash Zone, Crash Zone, Crash Zone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that kind of sucks because, uh, like, uh, hopefully, you know, they get whatever. Um, deal out of it because it's it's their work it's their baby um but it's cool like i i, I never really played too much of burnout paradise um i didn't really like the the open world nature of it i preferred what um burnout three and four did um i preferred that setup um but like it's something that maybe i pick up at some point and kind of see again if they're saying that I missed last time, that I'd, I'd enjoy more this time. Um, I do enjoy those burnout games. I do enjoy that that style of driving. Um, it's highly enjoyable. And I'm sure it looks really, really pretty on the PS4 as well. Uh, and for Kirby, I've, I've never really been into Kirby. I've never really understood the Kirby appeal, other than Kirby's really cute. Um, yeah, damn right. But as an actual kind of game to play, I don't know. I've never really been fussed about Kirby. But, I mean, hey, look. He's making coin, and so I'm happy for him. Finishing off the news this week with a brace of game announcements. Uh, your boy T-Clance is going to take another swing at the division. Um, I don't know how to feel about that. Um, I think that the original division was mechanically um, and visually a very interesting and potentially enjoyable game, but in terms of content was very, very hollow. Uh, and as Brian documented on the show at the time, basically they got the game and then every single update for about half a year proceeded to fuck up the game even worse <laughs> um, and ran off a lot of people. But there still are people like Brian uh, playing that game to this day. So uh, I think it's one of those things where like, let's hope that the division is a franchise mark because we obviously want these any sort of games or developers to succeed in what they're doing. Um let's just hope it's it's what you might describe as assassin's creed 2 syndrome where really they learned what not to do with the first one and the sequel is going to be a banger like watchdogs 2 as well um yeah not much else to be said on that i don't think because you weren't a division guy no were you? no i wasn't really fussed either way and then finally in what i think has been the worst kept secret in games for about two years shadow of the tomb raider has been confirmed the 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 closing salvo of the reboot trilogy for lara croft that started with uh, tomb raider a couple of years uh, four years ago now um and that was pretty decent then rise of the tomb raider two years ago which was genuinely uh, just a brilliant game and i think really um I think it made uh, it made the bar pretty high for Uncharted 4 that was coming out about 18 months after it. Uh, that's how good it was. Um, and now we're getting uh, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, which we had seen. I think there was a story on uh, NeoGAF at the time uh, about how someone had seen an open laptop on a plane that had design docs for a game called Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Um 
but yeah, it's confirmed. It's going to be out 14th of September. So they learned from, I think Rise of the Tomb Raider came out like a week and a half before Christmas. So uh, they've learned that mistake. Don't release something too close to Christmas. And also it's going to be on both PS4 and Xbox One and not just time exclusive because Jesus Christ did their sales suffer from that, I imagine. Uh, the first time round. Uh, what have you had any real interaction with this reboot franchise of uh, Tomb Raider? Um, I have played a little bit of uh, your copy of the second yeah. one. Yeah, right. Uh, and I remember playing a bit of the the first when it came out, and they were fine. I was okay with them. Um, they were necessary because uh, it's fair to say that Tomb Raider by that point had become a bit old in the tooth. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I appreciate that they definitely went strong into making Lara Croft this, as this kind of strong, fierce, independent woman, you know, more so than she already was, um, but giving a lot more kind of depth to her character that may have not just had not really been there before um and also just kind of adding more survival elements and and, because like the original tomb raider games are very kind of standard platforming with heavy and leaning into the the puzzle uh explorational elements of them of those types of games uh whereas from what i remember from what i've seen of you play another footage that you know there's a lot more of adventure a lot more survival a lot Mm. more kind of taking tropes from um, say like the Uncharted series which had originally taken tropes from the Tomb Raider series um, and yeah you know, I, I appreciate them for what they are yeah I think what they did was uh, to kind of increase the, the, play, the, the playability for your more casual uh, player they kind of pushed a lot of that puzzle stuff to the, the challenge tombs which you could kind of go through for the most part there were some you couldn't but you for the most part you could go through the whole critical path of the game without encountering the really hard puzzles um but then you have the these challenge tombs which i think are some of the best designed puzzles of their kind in, in that type of game uh, that i've played certainly in in the last few years um and i do think it really much as uh, we always say on the program that like uncharted definitely ripped off tomb raider and improved on it and i think uh, rise of the tomb raider in particular ripped off uncharted and improved on it for me because i enjoyed some of the set pieces more than some of the set pieces in uncharted even though that's blasphemous to say if you ask an uncharted fan um and i definitely enjoyed the challenge of rise of the tomb raider more i think those challenge tombs were actually like really really well constructed and the baba yaga dlc for that game is really really good anyway end of the news for the week at last uh, let us move into the book club where we talk about an important game or games from the past that you should try out for the first time if you haven't and uh, pick up again if it's been quite some time mark is taking a spin this week and he is going to talk about worms
Worms is a series of artillery tactical computer games developed by British company Team 17. Players control a small platoon of worms across a deformable landscape, battling other computer or player-controlled teams. The games feature bright and humorous cartoon-style animation and a varied arsenal of bizarre weapons. The game, whose concept was devised by Andy Davidson, was described by the Amiga Gaming Press as a, as a cross between cannon fodder and lemmings. It is part of a wider genre of turn-based artillery games in which each player controls characters who duel with projects. Similar games include Scorched Earth, Gorillas, and Artillery Duel. Now, this series of games, because we're not going to talk about just one game in particular, although there is the one game in particular that I remember from my childhood of playing. Um, but this series of games has been going over 20 years now um, and the core concept is fair to say Dave has not really ever changed um, no. I'll start with you uh, do you have any history with this series at all okay so like when I think about the series uh, of worms games um, I get a couple of, of strong kind of sense memories and uh, although I never owned uh, a worms game myself there are two ways in which the, the franchise has kind of like uh, dovetailed with my experiences growing up because I think one of the reasons we enjoy this series, I, I don't necessarily want to speak on your behalf, so if you disagree, let me know. But uh, when I think of Worms, it, it's a quintessentially like our childhood and formative years sort of franchise. I, I don't think... A now as an adult very much but when i think about it i get that kind of feeling of the 90s welling up inside me yeah um and the the two reasons why like one uh i think growing up watching the kind of tv young boys in the uk and ireland did i think every it, it feels like every second show was sponsored by worms at some point and every kind of video game magazine or a wwf magazine back in the day had a full page ad for a worms game if it came out um with one of their kind of like tongue-in-cheek advertisements and then the other thing is that it was one of those classic games that you don't really it's kind of you don't get it as much in this generation but online play but there are certain games that you never owned yourself but when you were over in someone's house you always played um so i had a, a couple of friends who had some worms games on there and i remember my friend john had one on i want to say the ps1 um and i had never never heard of them before um and i just there's a kind of like as well as the the, the turn-based strategy making it very interesting game of kind of cartoony chess almost uh, on top of that the game has a style and a sense of humor to it that is is very endearing particularly if you're from our generation yeah so i remember i went back and um i was looking at this game and i was I was looking at uh, the kind of style of the game and it's it couldn't have been made anywhere other than england it has a very uh, british sense of humor about it um which comes from, you know, uh, it's a, a British developer. Um, one of the I can things... Think of one, one very famous weapon from the franchise, yeah. the, uh, the Holy Hand Grenade. Exactly. <laughs> That's a dead giveaway. Um, one of the things that always fascinated me about this game when um, 
I was a child playing it. Uh, other than the fact that there are these kind of cute little worm creatures that are blowing the shit out of each other, was the uh, procedural generation around um, the environment. And that you could, you know, basically no two levels ever felt the same. Um, and so this, for me, you know, I mean, this kind of stuff would blow my mind 20 years later with the, the likes of Spelunky. But, mm-hmm. you know, for a, a seven-year-old at the time, um, playing this with my little sister, uh, just the idea that no two levels ever felt the same, you know, and you could just constantly be traversing across new environments even though the the kind of the graphical template was the same um what obstacles actually lay in your way and how you would use these worms to get from one side of the arena to the other to get to the enemy uh always kept the game feeling fresh because Mm -hmm. So for anyone that's never played Worms before, Worms is a is a turn-based tactical combat game where you have, I don't know how it's changed that, that, that much over the years, but you would have a team of four um, and you could have up to four teams. And um, one by one, uh, you'd start with your team captain, basically. You would do your move, then the next team, that team captain would do their move and you'd go on until you, all 16 Worms had taken a turn, unless they died before them um, and you would have uh, a fixed amount of time depending on what you wanted the rules for that round to be to um, move your worm along um, and then use whatever weapon was available that you could to try and take out your enemy um, and again depending on how you wanted to set the rules up you could have it that you could have infinite ammo you could have it that you could only collect items from uh, crate boxes um, which work on a kind of RNG factor of, of dropping just wherever they want, whenever they want. Um, and so you you know had to be very tactical about what kind of game did you want to play. Did you want to go out on an all-offensive front where you were just fucking launching bazookas at anything that was in front of you? Um, did you want to try and be sneaky and uh, kind of traverse down to where uh, an enemy was that was kind of close to the water so you could kind of just push them off and save, kind of conserve whatever ammunition that you had? Uh, and I spent, you know, years as, as a child just fucking around with all the different ways that you could play the game, um, fucking around with the editor. Uh, to use like all the kind of steel girders to, to kind of build like fortresses um, or then you know bring all the worms into a tiny little hole and then set off a banana bomb so just the whole screen kind of freaked out because he didn't know what to do um, mm. I yeah I uh, I spent a lot of time that I didn't realize until I looked back playing this game not even playing it properly as intended, but just actually fucking around with it. It's kind yeah. of almost like sandbox fe- features mm. or editor features, like a Mario Maker, sorry. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that, that you've hit upon there about the different ways you can play and the different uh, strategies you can kind of follow. Um, one of the things people don't necessarily get now if they, they weren't playing games back in the 90s or, or before that. Um, so, like obviously being in the past there there were a lot more limitations on how much you could basically fit on a cartridge or or a, or a boot disc uh for your game so if you're developing some sort of you know game where worms 
blow the shit out of each other. Uh, the only way to kind of um, ensure that that game is played for a long time, that people really want to, to play it, um, is to really think through and add a level of depth to the, the gameplay. And we talk about emergent gameplay now. I mentioned it earlier on the show. These kind of situations that only will pop up in that one session you're playing. And real-time strategy, there was a reason that during the 90s and such, real-time strategy was such a... Or, or turn-based strategy even was such a popular genre, and it's because you you got, you had those moments um, where they kind of just turned. These are the ways you can approach the game. Here are the weapons you can approach the game with, and here are the rule set that we have devised for you. Go nuts! And and because of that, no two times you played the game are the same because uh, whether you're playing with somebody against the computer. Every single person, every single time, uh, people react differently to the events that take place in each battle. Um, and I think b- because of that, it, it was one of those classic games that people picked up worms and they just kept it around for so long. And it was kind of a just, you want to mess about. Like like you said there, it wasn't just, uh, oh, I'm going to have a serious worm session. Now, sometimes you just wanted to fuck about on that game and see what you could do with the different weapons and uh, on different maps and things like that. So you just took it out to have a bit of a laugh with. So you, you have those two layers of there is intense strategy to it, so you can um, go nuts and get a great amount of hours out of it that way. Or you could just, uh, I want to turn on a game and blow some stuff up for a while. It had that as well. Um, one of the things that... Um... I really appreciate about the game looking back as well is um, you know it's it's a local multiplayer game and obviously say for the original PlayStation at the time any kind of four player multiplayer wasn't really going to happen and so I always appreciated any game that would allow you to do multiplayer just with the one controller uh, now obviously that would get expanded with um, Worms Armageddon, which was available on the, the N64, mm. uh, and obviously was a, a console that was built with you know lo- local multiplayer in mind. Um, but I yeah, I always appreciated that. You know, as I mentioned, I always played a lot of Worms with my sister. Um, I remember playing Worms Armageddon with um, Jack and Niner and others, um, and just yeah, it was just always kind of built with that style of gameplay in mind um and i always like the the customize customability of like you know being able to name your team um so you know whether you wanted to make name your team something stupid or name it after your friends or whatever uh and give a little bit more kind of uh, the personal flavor to your own team uh, and they kind of really expanded on that sort of stuff um from worms armageddon uh, and onwards um, the, I don't know if you ever had a look at, like, because obviously the game, because of the nature of the game, because it's quite a kind of small-scale project, um, it became a, a game that actually stuck with the times because Team 17 were obviously were, were well aware enough of what Worms was that they didn't need to make it this game that would get, you know, a full retail release on the PS2 or the PS3 or the Xbox 360. Mm. So we would see they would get end up with releases on um, you know iOS. Um, it got a release on the uh, 360 uh, Win uh, the 360 Store. Uh, sorry, Xbox Live Arcade, uh, and it's kind of continued since. Like, if you ever had a chance to look at any of the the newer releases of Worms over the years, as it's kind of 
scaled down um, the platforms it appears on. Yeah, I think I've seen glimpses of it here and there, and, and it seems like one of those things where um, it, it doesn't have quite the nostalgia wave behind it that the likes of Crash Bandicoot and Ratchet and Clank did that got them full ground-up remakes because kind of in a lot of ways, Worms never went away because, as you said, they kind of just switched the the platforms they were coming out on and just had smaller and smaller releases over the years that I don't think people necessarily look back on it as fondly as some other franchises that went away. I don't know if you feel the same. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I do. Um, so, yeah, I haven't checked out much of them. Like, it, it definitely seems like um, a game that if you could get a, a, a decent uh, mobile version would work, but uh, I, don't, I, I couldn't speak to that out of personal experience. We're just waiting for the uh, the battle royale version of Worms to be released. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Player unknowns battle worms. I, you know what, right? I'd get on board with that. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's you know, it's Worms has been released on just about every friggin' console uh, since 1995. Like, just having a look through now, like Worms Armageddon itself was released on Windows, Dreamcast, PlayStation 64, Game Boy Color. Um, and but it speaks to like a very kind of simple concept um, that can be translated across or ported across to multiple uh, yeah. multiple devices, multiple consoles, um, and kind of as as mentioned, like it's it's off brand sense of humor uh, with references to like the holy hand grenade, uh, holy hand grenade. Sorry, grenade. The hell am I about? <laughs> um, it's just yeah, it's a game that actually has I feel actually surprisingly uh, lasted the tests of time um even though the core gameplay hasn't really changed since um but you know when i think of worms i don't really need it to be anything more than what it is um and you know i tried playing hogs of war back in the original playstation and i don't know i never found that that type of game works in the 3d environment yeah no definitely agree with you on that to wrap things up mark Elevator pitch. Uh, worms is a. I should we play Worms? Worms is a uh, very unique, very um, slightly off-brand type of humor, uh, turn-based uh, tactical warfare game with worms that use bazookas and exploding sheep and uh, fire dragon ball punch type m- maneuvers. Um, and that works as a single player experience if you want to go through the campaign. Um, and try all the different types of terrain or if you just want to have a good laugh with your friends in a local multiplayer setting uh, it works in both formats and is available on just about every device going today um, besides switch but you know give it time and (laughs) is yeah it's definitely worth checking out well we have one more bit of business on the podcast and that is to talk about what is going to be on the slate for our next episode And it's my turn to choose, Mark. And I'm going to take us back. Uh, We're going to stay around in the 90s this year, uh, next week. uh, And we're going to go to 1998. And I think this might be our first LucasArts game. Oh, hello. To go into the book club. And that game uh, goes by the name of Grim Fandango. Ah, I I figured we'd have to get to this point at some point. I actually could swear we'd done it before. But I, I think it was that I talked about it when it got re-released on PlayStation 4. 
and that has stuck it in my head that we did it but uh, episode 105 is going to be Grim Fandango. Uh, this podcast, Link to the Cast, is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and most podcasting platforms. If you just search for Link to the Cast on there, subscribe to us, rate, review. It all helps us with that search engine optimization. We want to be found. Tell a friend. Uh, the website is linktothecast.eu where you'll get show notes, pictures, all that all that good stuff. Everything we post goes up there. If you want to get in touch, drop us an email, linktothecast at gmail.com. Social media is the most reliable way to hear back from us uh, and to keep up to date on our content as it's posted. Facebook.com forward slash linktothecast and at linktothecast on Twitter. Individually, I'm at Dave Ryan IV and Mark is at Lithium Project. In addition to this podcast, we do some semi-regular shows. Uh, once a month, myself and Jack Lazell, friend of the show, do a movie podcast called The Popcorn Social. We had one out just a couple of weeks ago. If you want to check that out, it appears in the same RSS feed as linked to the cast, so you can just scroll back and it should be there. Uh, similarly, we do a once-every-so-often pro-wrestling podcast called The Grapple. That's usually myself, Mark, Jack, and our good friend Barry Murphy uh, talking about the wacky world world of professional wrestling and boy the next time we do one of those mark we're gonna have a lot to talk about just from the last week alone um <clears throat> so yeah look forward to one of those coming out around wrestlemania time but for episode 104 of linked to the cast i've been dave ryan the man on the line with me here has been mark robinson and we shall see you all next week goodbye <laughs>